touch of God that we feel in this house and uh, looking forward to what God is going to do not only in this service but we have some special service planned over the next couple of weeks uh, just so that you understand we are using a week here previous to Pentecost Sunday to prepare our hearts for what God would do and uh, we do believe that We've got to sow in order to reap. We understand the principle of the Word of God, that if we're unwilling to put anything into uh, His work and His kingdom, we can expect to receive anything. So, but when we do, we know that we can uh, know that God is going to bless us and help us, and we're going to see great results. So uh, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about that, preparing ourselves, getting ourselves ready. How many knows that when they gathered in the upper room that they were there 10 days gathered together before the Holy Ghost was poured out now were they there begging for the Holy Ghost were they there uh, saying God I, I, we want you to, to, to hurry this process up give us the Holy Ghost God we've got to have the Holy Ghost I believe that they were there preparing their own hearts it was already predestined when the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out it was going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. Amen. That was already in the plan of God. But he sent them there a little early so that they could get their differences worked out. They could get their heart right. They could prepare the soil of their spirit for what God was wanting already and had promised them that he would do. Amen. We're not uh, waiting on God to do anything. Really, he's waiting on us to prepare ourselves and get in alignment with what he already wants to do. Can you say Amen. And so that's what we're going to be doing this next week. Now, I understand and didn't realize this when we planned it. understand that this is camp meeting week in Lufkin. And, uh, and if you, you choose to go there, uh, Brother Mooney is going to be preaching uh, the night services. I uh, had a little mishap with uh, Brother Bill Davis. Unfortunately, it had a heart attack. And so they had to have a little change up in their speakers. But I understand that Brother Mooney, who is a great preacher and personal friend, is going to be speaking there on us on, on the weeknights. So if you choose to go, uh, then we, you can prepare for Pentecost down there. But for those of you that are going to be here, and I may even uh, go myself a night or two, but uh, for those of you that are here, we're going to have prayer meeting uh, at 7 o'clock, 7 to 8 o'clock, and... Uh, just getting ourselves in tune with what God's doing. And then on Saturday, on Saturday, we're going to have a special outreach. And uh, we're going to have, you know, you say, well, I'm not into knocking doors. Or I'm not into this. Well, we're going to have something you're into. Because we're not just going to hang flyers. And we're not going to really do a whole lot of door knocking. What we've got is we've got some door hangers that are uh, made just with our church picture on the front church name on the front that's been professionally made and then the information will be on the back of that and you'll just have to hang it on the door there's nothing real difficult about that and uh, then we're going to have some maybe uh, calling previous guests that have came during that time and then also some going out and visiting uh, that feel comfortable going out and visiting previous guests over the past uh, several weeks or months that have visited with us and inviting them to this special Sunday. And I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I believe God's going to bless our efforts. 
and I know that God is going to help us in that day. We're going to have a great service here Sunday morning. We're just going to have Pentecost. Is that all right? Have Pentecost Sunday, and then after that's concluded, and uh, everything is finished with that, we're just going to have that one service. We're going to put our all into that service. We're going to put our best worship, best prayer, best preaching, hopefully, all those things into that service. But then that afternoon, we're going to come back here, and we're going to uh, uh, spend some time fellowshipping. The way we're going to do the food this time, and I want to underscore this, is that we're going to have a potluck. Now, uh, potluck is kind of like this. You don't come and uh, just exist off everybody else's pot. You bring your own, amen, and you share it with everybody. You know, so sometimes... Uh, somebody brings a bag of chips, and others, they, they've got, you know, ribeye steak or something. And uh, you, you make out pretty good when you do it that way. But we're asking you, Sister Nancy is actually going to be contacting different ones of you ladies to help us where we'll have a uh, kind of an even potluck. We don't have a mountain of bag of chips and, uh, and nothing else, you know. Uh, I, you know, I like... Ritz crackers, but I can't make a meal out of it. So if we ask you to bring something, work with her. We need so many desserts. We need so many main courses. We need so many vegetables. We want a good balanced potluck. Amen? So uh, we're going to try to ask you to help us with that. We're going to do it that way this year. Uh, We normally cook hamburgers, but uh, just uh, maybe do it a little different. We're going to have potluck inside the fellowship hall. And then there'll still be tents and everything. We're going to have an ice cream, homemade ice cream. Everybody say yum. <laughs> and uh, this year we're going to have a uh, cotton candy machine for the kids and a popcorn machine. And uh, so we're going to have something that's going to uh, help you out in your diet. If you don't like one thing, then we're bound to have something else. Praise the Lord. So uh, we're just going to be asking you to help with this. And please... Uh, get involved and, and help us so that we can balance this out. And uh, many hands make work light. Praise the Lord. So help us with it. I guess that's all the commercials. It's good to have everybody here in the house of the Lord with us. Good to see Landry Harrington with us uh, tonight. I appreciate him. I preach for his grandfather. Been some time ago now in Louisiana. And uh, it's good to see him here. He's been here more than I have here lately. But uh, we appreciate him being here on, on this Wednesday night and uh, working in the area. And uh, the Lord's been uh, doing some great things in his heart and life, and we appreciate that. And then it's good to see uh, David and Connie with us tonight, seeing them slip in, and all of our other guests that they made mention of tonight. We appreciate you. It's good to see the Terry family with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you'll turn with me to the book of Ruth. We'll get right on into the Word of God. Kind of like that fellow that said before I preached, he wanted to say something. As if to say that when he preached, he wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) Well, hopefully I say something when I preach. Praise the Lord. Luke, chapter number 2. Or, sorry, Ruth, chapter number 2. It just... You know, when you got the Holy Ghost, you just like to go over there and get in the New Testament every chance you get. Ruth, 
I'm going to tell you, folks, as I've said before, I may look like I'm smooth as a swan on the pond, but these little web feet are paddling underneath the surface. There's thousands of things going through my mind at one time. Ruth, not Luke, chapter number 2 and verse 2, and Ruth, Ruth, not Luke, the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him who, whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. How many knows that the Lord was guiding her in that decision? Who was the kindred of Ahimelech? And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was in the of the kindred of Elimelech. And I just want to preach for the next little while upon this subject, four dimensions of the harvest. Four dimensions of the harvest. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon this service tonight. We need his help we need his touch in this place would you help me pray right now jesus we desire you we desire the help of the holy ghost we pray god for your divine favor upon this service we know that without you god we're handicapped and we can do nothing but you're able to help us here this evening and i'm praying god for your touch in jesus name we pray would you clap your hands to the Lord and let's give Him thanks. Four dimensions of the harvest. Now, I was trying to, uh, you know, become a little more advanced and a little more techie. I got this new uh, laptop and I've got this new uh, iPad. And I had it all figured out how to get that on that iPad until it was church time <laughs> and then I don't know where it is it's somewhere out there in, in cyberspace but my sermon's floating around out there somewhere if y'all find it bring it to me but I'm just going to preach by little notes that I jotted down here but I think I got enough in my heart tonight God bless you for standing you may be seated this four chapter book Bible that we call Ruth is certainly a fascinating read, and if you've ever read it, if you read your Bible through, you know that there's really not a need for people to go to the bookstore and buy any novels, because the book is, or the Bible is just filled with all kinds of different fortes and genres. If you like action, it's got action. If you like uh, history It's got plenty of history. If you like war stories and battles and how they are fought, it's got all of that. If you like, if you're one of those that likes a little shedding of blood, it's certainly got that. If you're one of those that likes romance, my Lord, I hope that you only read the Bible if that's the case. It's got plenty of that. And so here is the book of Ruth. And it's a beautiful story of redemption in the Old Testament that hints of what is to come 
in the New Testament. It paints a portrait. It gives us a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and His redemption of us that is to be His bride. And so let me give you the backstory here before uh, what happens before the reading of our text tonight in the previous chapters about this little Hebrew family. The Bible tells us about this family, uh, Elimelech, the uh, father of this family, and then his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. And uh, I don't know, I've never been tempted to name any of my kids that. I don't know exactly what those names mean. But this family lived in Bethlehem, Judah. And it seems like things was rocking along pretty well. And, and then famine, which you read about a lot in the Scripture, it struck this particular place where they lived in Bethlehem, Judah, which ironically is named the house of bread. And so famine comes. And during this time, I don't know if it was panic, but certainly they made a rash decision. And how many knows that choices that are going to have life-altering consequences never need to be made in a hurry? You never need to feel pressure to make a decision and be rash in the making of your decisions when it involves your family and certainly your spirituality. And this was the case with this particular family. They made a quick decision because they'd heard about the prosperity, they'd heard about the plenty that the Moabites had, and it was just a little ways from where they lived. In fact, the Scripture indicates that it was only a day's journey from Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab. And uh, they made a determination and a decision that they would go there and sojourn. And to sojourn means to just make a temporary move. It's not forever. It's not something that is going to last for a long time. But maybe while the famine is taking place here, we can go, we can find work. Uh, there's plenty of rain over there. This is a better area uh, for us to prosper in. We can work in the fields. Things is going well in Moab. And so... We'll just go there, and, and during this particular time of famine, uh, we make this decision to sojourn in the land of Moab. Only problem with that is, is that they have always been warned, even from the early days of them entering into the promised land, they had been warned about heathen nations such as Moab. And Moab has always been a type of the world. The psalmist said, that Moab is my washpot, or the Lord said through the psalmist that Moab is my washpot. And so it's always been a type of the world. It's been a type of sin. Uh, Israel was always inhibited by the law and by their leaders to intermingle with the people of these heathen nations, to intermarry, uh, to get involved with them too heavily, to take on their traditions and their customs. So it was that maybe they thought, you know, we have a close enough relationship with God. We know who we are. 
We're clear in our, our identity. We understand where we're from, the God that we worship. This will not have any effect upon us. But after being in Moab for just a short time, we see the effects that it had on their children. It doesn't really show that it had any great effect on this man or Naomi, his wife, but it does show that it had immediate effects on their children. Maybe when they left, they convinced themselves and others that it was going to be all right because it wasn't that far of a move. It was only a day's journey. But you see, sometimes by only making a little move, a little alteration to our lives, just a little adjustment to our lives, we don't understand or do we realize or fathom the depths of consequences that it's going to have on our family and our children. And so this was the case with this family. They began to get interested. They began to get an eye for the Moabite women. And uh, finally, it was reciprocated. And we find that the, both of them married wives. And this is really not what I came to speak or to preach on tonight. But they married wives among the Moabites. And in a process of time, the father dies. And then, uh, by a twisted turn of events, and sadly, these two sons, they pass away in the land of Moab. And now, Naomi is left there without any family directly, blood kin to her. All she has is these two daughter-in-laws that know nothing more than what she has told them about Bethlehem, Judah. They know little about the God that they had worshipped. They know little about their customs and their traditions. They don't know anything about the law and the Word of God. They don't have any understanding of this. And uh, she realizes that I cannot live here alone. I cannot survive here in this place without my husband and my sons. I thought that I could make it improvise a little bit when my husband passed away but now it's not only my husband but now both of my sons I have nobody to provide for me and if you know anything about the scripture you know that uh, women in that day um, really their means of survival was largely dependent upon their connection with a man that's later on the story we see that they actually uh, received a kinsman redeemer in Boaz, which would later provide for Ruth and also Naomi. But Naomi makes the determination. She makes the decision that I'm going to make the trip back, the journey back. I should have never left in the first place. I don't know what we were thinking, but I'm going to make the trip back to Bethlehem, Judah. And thankfully, she had enough wisdom to do that. And so she releases Orpha and she releases uh, Ruth and says, You know what? You don't know anything about my homeland. This is your home. You have uh, married my sons. They're both in the grave. It wouldn't be fair to make you move back with me if I, I'm, I'm past age to have children. Even if I did, would you be able to wait until they were grown to marry them? So there is no obligation to you. 
for you to go back to my homeland. You can stay here. You can marry one of the Moabites. You can go on. And that's exactly given the option what Orpha did. She decided to stay there. But we know that Ruth had a totally different attitude. She had a totally different spirit about this. And uh, she looked at Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she said, I know that I have no, no obligation as far as the law. I have no uh, promise or covenant to you, but entreat me not to stay here in this heathen land. Wherever you go, that's where I'll go. And we've preached about this many times. And wherever you live and whatever land you build in, that's where I'll make that my land. And your people, they're going to be my people. What was she saying? She said, whatever customs and whatever uh, things I have to adapt to, if you'll just teach me, Naomi, I'm willing to adapt to them. And this was the most important thing that she said. She said, your God will become my God. I'll make the conversion. I'll do whatever is necessary. Yeah, these heathen gods have never done anything for me anyway. All they are is inanimate objects of stone or wood. We've sacrificed to them. We prayed for them, prayed to them, and we've never seen any miracles. We've never had them provide for us. We've never had them deliver us from anything. So I'm going to take a chance, Naomi, on your God. I'm willing to make the trip with you. We don't even know if we'll be accepted. I certainly don't know if I'll be accepted, but I'm willing to go with you and take this chance and this risk. So they see her coming in the distance, Naomi, and they say, oh, is that not Naomi? And she, you know the story, she says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, because I went out full. I thought there was famine when you left. I thought there was hard times when you left. I thought it was bad when you left. She said, I went out full. You know, she got a revelation of something after being gone for a long time. She got a revelation that, you know, I had it a whole lot better in the church on my worst day than I did in the world on my best day. That living for God, it never is really empty as the world would try to make you suppose. But that is the best life and the greatest life is living for God. She said, even though our cupboards were bare, even though we were wondering how we were going to eat the next day, it was better when we was trusting on God for our provision. It was better when we was looking under the Lord and worshiping Him and serving Him. When I left, I, I didn't think so, but really I was full. And after a while of being in Moab or the world, as I return, I'm coming back empty. How many times have we seen this repeated over and over and over again? But as they came into the land, obviously the famine had ended. And there were bumper crops everywhere. And so Ruth, the younger, more energetic, the healthy of the two, she asked her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, Can I go into the field and glean? And the Bible says that she happened on a certain field that belonged to Boaz. But we know that this was the orchestration of God because Boaz was kin to Naomi's late husband and he could eventually become a kinsman redeemer to Ruth. And so 
as she is gleaning in the field, looking at the inrows, because the law said that you had to leave the corners and the inrows for the stranger and for the person that might be impoverished. This was God's provision for them. And so she goes in the field and she begins to gather a few inrows. And as she's doing this late one evening, Boaz comes out of that field and he inquires. He said, who's the damsel that is out there? What's this young lady? I haven't seen her around. And she catches his eye. And as she continues this process of daily coming and gathering uh, the inrows in the corners of the field that was lawfully hers and just maybe it was just barely enough to exist from day to day but it was there this was part of the provision that God had provided for people in her case and they were able just to, to make a meager amount out of this and, and get by and make a meal each day and survive but when Boaz notices her there and notices what she is doing he instructs his servants. He said, I want you to drop. I want you to make like that you're just uh, dropping it, but I want you to do it on purpose. I want you to leave a few handfuls behind, he says, on purpose so that she can gather it. And so as they're reaping the field and they're piling up uh, the stalks of, of grain and reaping this particular area, they throw a few handfuls and bundles out there and they leave them in the fields so that Ruth can come along behind them and take them home. And this gives her a little more sustenance. This uh, helps her and sustains her, not from maybe just day to day, or maybe they were able to eat a little better. And uh, God provides for them in this way. And they get a few more handfuls on purpose. And uh, Boaz, over the process of time, he's watching her. He notices her. He sees her there. And um, it is Naomi that knows the customs of the land. Ruth doesn't understand. She doesn't know. Uh, she, she has no understanding of how uh, these Hebrews operate and, and how they even have a courting process or how that even gets going. And uh, the customs of the day and in every culture has always had its customs when it comes to uh, persons getting married uh, women and men meeting up you know some cultures as I've told you in times past uh, the father gets to pick who his daughter would marry and I told you I was for bringing that one back praise the Lord with a six year old daughter I want to I I try to get that one going again <laughs> right here at least in Texarkana but anyway how many of you fathers would be for doing that how many of you fathers that already have them married would be for going back retro and doing that oh let's don't let's don't go there but Naomi knows and she says you know the field has already been reached you can't go to the field anymore Ruth and 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 get any more handfuls on purpose they've already reaped all of the fields it's time for them to winnow the wheat and the barley the Bible says that they came at the time of the barley harvest. So in other words, it's time for them to separate the grain from the chaff. And uh, I noticed when they do this, I was in Ethiopia, which is re very close and, uh, and, and have many of the same customs as the Bible lands. And I saw some boys one evening, we was driving down the road, and they were 
uh, the wind was just, it wasn't really blowing hard. It was just a gradual uh, breeze. But they would throw with their pitchforks up into the air. After they would thresh it on the ground, they would throw it up into the air and the wind would blow the chaff away into one area and there was a great big pile over here of that, of chaff where the wind had carried it away. And then in this area, there was grain that was heavier that the wind would not carry away that would land and that was what was good and that was what they would take and they would grind up and make meal out of and make the bread out of and cook with. And so this is the process that Boaz and his servants are going to go through. And Naomi instructs Ruth. I know this may seem crazy to you, and I know they don't do this in Moab, but Cohen, and I want you to cover his feet. And he'll know what this means. And when you cover his feet, he's going to tell you what to do from there. And the next morning when he realized what she had done, and covering his feet that the next morning he arose and he gave her of the grain six measures of barley went from inrows I want you to follow me now went from inrows and corners of the field just enough to maybe make a meal for the day to handfuls on purpose which gave her a little bit more security and blessed her and by extension, Naomi, to be able to eat without worrying about what the next meal was going to be. Maybe it stocked their cupboards a little bit. And now he's handing out six measures of barley. Notice the increase that is taking place. And so it causes me, and I want you to, I want you to receive this. I want you to get a hold of this. It causes me to ask what what is happening here? Why is there an increase with every encounter that she has with Boaz? I notice that as her relationship grows with Boaz, so does her blessing in the same proportion. As her relationship grows with Boaz, the greater her harvest is. And can I say that this principle still applies today. We make the mistake as a church and as a people many times in our day of focusing and concentrating all of our efforts on the field itself. And I'm not suggesting in any way that we ignore the field. But I think we ought to have things in proper perspective here tonight. We, we, we focus all of our attention and all of our efforts on the field when we should be focusing our efforts and our attention, first of all, on the owner of the field. Because if we can develop a relationship with him, he'll give us what's in the field. He'll give us a harvest. Or could I say it this way? He'll give us revival if we have a relationship with the owner of the field. And so you know how the story concludes. As her relationship grows with the owner of the field, she eventually marries him and she becomes partaker in everything that he owns. She doesn't have just to get a few inrows or a few corners or a few handfuls on purpose or does she just get meted out to her six measures of barley. But now she has all that she desires. She has 
plenty. Everything that's in the field, amen, as long as she has an appetite for it and she desires it, it's hers. Because she has a relationship with the owner. And at any point along this process, had she became satisfied, had she became satisfied with just being that impoverished damsel gathering on the inrows and taking up a few corners and meagerly getting by from day to day and not been open at all to the advances of Boaz, then she would have received no more. If she would have been content at some point with the handfuls on purpose, then she would have received no more. If she would have said, Thank you, Mr. Boaz, but this as far as it goes when he gave her the six measures of barley then she would have received no more but she was open to a relationship with the owner of the field and as a result of that the Bible indicates to me that she was fed throughout her lifetime that she always had plenty and she married into the very lineage of Jesus Christ from that day forward her life was blessed because she raised the commitment level and said I'm willing to make a commitment to the owner of the field and can I tell you as our commitment grows towards the Lord in the things of God so will God bless this church with revival but revival always comes through the ram of relationship you can't have a revival without a relationship with God and your revival will never outgrow your relationship with God because revival cannot be manufactured. A harvest of souls cannot be manufactured by men. It cannot be something that is synthetic. But a move of the Spirit only comes from God. And if you're going to have a move of God, you've got to be connected to the things of the Spirit. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to become sensitive to God. And the only way you can become sensitive to anyone including God, is to have a relationship with Him. Amen. After living with someone and being around someone and in the presence of someone, you that are married folk, you understand, you know what pleases them. And by knowing what pleases them, you also know what displeases them. Amen. You know what, what kind of meal most appeals to your husband after living with them for 25 years. You know he's not interested in sauerkraut and weenies. No matter how much you like him, he may not like him. You know whether he prefers Miracle Whip. How many Miracle Whip folks we got in the house? Or mayonnaise. How many mayonnaise folks we got in the house? God bless you. You don't even have to ask. You know whether he's a mustard man? Yeah. Don't get ahead of me now. You know whether he likes relish on his hot dog, onions? He likes onions. You don't like him to have onions. <laughs> you know. You become sensitive to those things. You know what? he's pleased with. You know what makes 
one happy because you've been in their presence long enough. And the same relationship must be developed with God. Because the Holy Ghost is something that is so easily grieved. It is so fragile. And there's nothing that shoes the Holy Ghost away or breaks a spiritual connection like carnality does. And where flesh is reigning, the Spirit is never going to feel welcome. Because the Bible says this. It says that no flesh shall glory in His presence. No flesh is going to glory in His presence. The Bible also tells me that He resisted the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. So somewhere I've got to get I've got to get disconnected with this world and connected with that world. Some way or another, I've got to become sensitive to Him and what pleases Him. I've got to get in tune with Him. I've got to get on His frequency. Hallelujah. I want the Lord to be able to speak to me and I want to be able to be sensitive to the Lord and follow His direction. I don't want to grieve Him with my actions or my thoughts or the words that I say. I suppose the the greatest way that we grieve the Holy Ghost is in the words that we speak. We speak words of doubt. And when we speak words of doubt, it's a good indication that we're carnally minded because it's only through logic and carnal mindedness that we began to think at things in, in the realm of doubt. And the only way to, for us to continue to speak faith and to be uh, uplifting in our speech and speak the language that God wants us to speak is to stay full of the Holy Ghost. Because if you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you're going to look at some situations and say, that's an impossibility. It's only through being full of the Spirit that you're going to be able to look at those things and say, you know what? I don't care what it looks like in the flesh. I understand that God is able. And nothing is impossible with Him. I understand that. I know that. I, I know what I see with my carnal eyes, but I, I see through spiritual eyes. Come on, just like the servant that Elisha prayed for and said open his eye he didn't say open his eyes so that so that angels can appear the angels were already there they were there but he couldn't see them come on sometimes God is working and we can't see it because we're not tuned in we're not focused on it like we need to be God help me to have faith to see what you want me to see and help me to have blinders to, to not be able to see those things that might hinder me or distract me in my faith. Come on, there's things that can distract us to cause us to doubt. Look, look, at, look at Peter walking on the water, and then he saw, the Bible said, the wind. And he saw, he didn't see the wind, he saw the effects of the wind, actually. Saw those waves, saw the boat tossing, saw the uh, brooding sky. And he said, man, I ain't supposed to be doing this. Look, I ain't supposed to be walking on the water. This is not natural. And immediately when he started looking around and he got fear, fear is the antithesis of faith. 
And fear always enters in when we get our focus off of Jesus. Quit looking at the wind. Quit looking at the waves. Quit looking at the foreboding sky. Start focusing on who you started out looking for in the first place. And that was Jesus. And as long as you can keep your eyes on Him, you'll keep walking on the water and nothing that stands between you and Him will cause you to falter. You won't fail as long as you keep your eyes focused on the Lord and place your faith in Him. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so, it's really only through developing a relationship with God that we can have weak term at revival, but a harvest of souls. By developing relationship with the owner of the field. Amen? He said, pray that you send forth labors into my harvest. Amen. He, he told the Apostle Paul, I have much sold in this city. But it was the Apostle Paul that had to be sensitive to the direction of the Spirit and have enough relationship, if I could say that way, with the Lord to know that this is the way I ought to take. His flesh wanted to take him a different direction. He said, I want to go over here. I want to go in this direction. But he saw that vision of that man from Macedonia that said, come on over here. Hallelujah. We've got to be sensitive to the direction and the mind of God. Come on, when God speaks to you about talking to somebody about Him, you don't need to doubt that. You don't need to be hindered. You don't in any way need to recoil and say, well, you know, I'm not much of a speaker. I don't know much of this. And I, I don't know if I could really talk to them about the Lord. But if the Lord is prompting you to talk to them, that means that everything is set and ready right then for you to move. And it's an opportunity that may pass you by if you're not careful. That's why I talk about being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and developing a relationship with the Lord. And we concentrate all of our efforts sometimes on, on and we should plan and program and do all of these things. Sometimes we concentrate our efforts on, well, if we could only get this preacher in, if we can only get this person uh, working with us or that thing going, if we could learn this song, if we could do that, then we would have revival. All of these elements, all of these components, all of these pieces to the puzzle, if we could uh, get them all together, then, then surely this is what would bring about a move of God. But again, a move of God cannot be manufactured. It cannot be created or forced or even conjoled by men. It has to be from God. Only God can bring an outpouring of His Spirit. And we ignore the fact that what we really ought to be working on is a relationship with the Lord. Again, talent, skill, abilities. None of those things will ever substitute for a move of God. None of those things will ever substitute with a for a relationship with God. You heard the story about the man that got up and was a public speaker and was so mesmerizing with his speech 
he got up and he quoted the 23rd Psalm. Every voice inflection was just perfect. Every pause, he, he knew every punctuation, and he, and he accentuated it right on the right time. Everything was just so perfect. And people cheered and they clapped. And later, an old preacher got up and he took his glasses and put them on and he looked down and he began to read the 23rd Psalm. And he had a halting voice and it was far from perfect. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the building. And someone asked the question, what was the difference? And a wise man said, the difference was this, is one knew the psalm, but the other one knew the shepherd. Hallelujah. Well, the difference was relationship. The difference was that connection. The difference was is there was one that had been in a prayer room somewhere and getting a hold of God that knew what it was to get in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we can get into all of these things that we think are important. And really, I'm not taking away from the importance. You certainly can't have chaos and you, you, can't, you can't go without structure and you've got to have planning and I... I'm not against any of those things, but what am I trying to impress upon you tonight is the importance of having a relationship with the Lord. None of those things, no matter how well we plan, how, how perfect we, we get things through practice, and how well we can do all of that, I'm telling you the most important thing is that there be power and anointing behind it that only comes from God. Amen. I would rather listen to an imperfect praise singer than I would to a perfect one that was carnal, that knew the words to the song. They knew how to sing. They had a voice like a songbird, but they had no relationship with the God that they were singing about. I don't care to listen to a preacher. I don't care if he is an orator and he's educated and he knows how to say all the words that are moving to a crowd. But if he has no relationship with God, he is not worth listening to. Hallelujah. When you teach your Sunday school class, you need to have a relationship with the one that you're trying to teach about. When you sing on the platform, you need to have a relationship with the one that you're singing about. When you lead in worship, you need to have a relationship with the one that you're trying to lead us to. Amen. When you preach from this pulpit, you better have a relationship with the one that you're talking about. Don't measure success by how high people jump and how hard that they run. Measure your success by the effect, amen, that that is lasting, amen, that is more than just momentary. Amen. Because people can hop, skip, and shout, and dance, and twirl, and go out and sin like the devil. Because words have the power to influence people. Music has the power to inspire people because it makes you juke don't mean it's God. It's because it excites you doesn't mean it's God. What are you trying to do, Brother Calhoun? I'm trying to bring a depth to this thing. 
Amen. I said, I'm trying to bring a depth to this thing that only comes through relationship with Almighty God. What prepares our heart for His presence? I'll tell you what it is. It's prayer. It's fasting. It's getting in the Word of God. It's spending time in the presence of the Lord. It's not being rushed when you come into His presence. It's not all about you when you come to the sanctuary. But it's God. I want to be what you want me to be. I'm placing my life as clay on the potter's wheel. Form me, fashion me to be a vessel of honor that you can use. relationship amen it doesn't mean no good to work in the field without a relationship with the owner amen I can try and endeavor to glean in the field but it's all in vain if I don't have a relationship with the owner I can try to control and manipulate things but it, it's all in vain if I don't have a relationship if inwardly I'm running on empty and I'm not praying, and I have no anointing, it's all in vain. It has no real lasting impact. Praise the Lord. And you can't cover it up. It's got to be there. Our, our outward actions does not substitute for relationship with God. And so many times we can think, well, this is what I do for God, so some way... God has to excuse my lack of time to pray or my lack of time to develop a relationship with Him or spend time in His presence because, you know, after all, I do all of these other things for God. And maybe there are even things we should do. But I'm going to tell you, just coming to church, and, and I, I believe that that's necessary, and I believe that there is no way that you can escape the need of being faithful to the house of God. It's in the Word of God. But that alone is what I'm saying is not enough. You can say, well, I'm always there. But if you're just using it as a, if you've got a time card when you come to church and you just clock in when you come in and you clock out when you go out, church isn't doing you much good. Come on, we need some 24-7 folks. You've got convictions 24-7. You're sensitive to the Spirit of God 24-7. Amen? Well, I, 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 I play an instrument. I, I praise, sing. I sing in the choir. I teach a Sunday school class. I usher. I do this. I do that. So God, you know, since I got these works that I do for Him, He has to excuse my lacklusterness in other areas. No. That's no excuse for a prayer life. That's not going to substitute for your prayer life. You've got to have a prayer life. You've got to know what it is to get in the presence of God. You better learn what pleases Him and what displeases Him. Because Satan was told by Jesus in the wilderness, Get thee hence, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. We get it backwards. We serve. We say, well, I, I serve God in these areas. I serve God. I, I, I do this. I do that. I come to church. I pay my tithes. Some pay my tithes. I could preach on that about an hour. Come on, you're not going to be saved if you're not a tither. Amen. 
give my offering, I do all these things. That's my service to God. But he said, before all of that, not negating the service, but before all of that comes worship. And worship is not just our Sunday night experience. Worship is not just running and skipping and, and twirling. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. Come on. Matter of fact, that's just a little bit of it. Worship is more than that. Worship can be, and it needs to be, and if it's not here, it really should, it should start here, and it should be a priority that you have it here before you go any further. And worship needs to be a part of your prayer life. Amen. Prayer is not just you bringing your wish list to God. Prayer is not you just coming in and saying, God, this is what I need you to do. Here's my bullet points. Let me hand them over to you. Let me talk to you about what I need. But how many times do you come in and say, God, it's not about me today. It's about you and spending time in your presence. And I just want to worship you. And worship goes beyond just praise. And worship enters into a deeper dimension. And worship can be weeping. Worship can be saying nothing but just being in his presence and saying God I just want to hear you I want you to speak to me I want to feel after your presence I want to be obedient and led by you today worship has a depth to it the only way you can worship something is to know it and to be intimate with it worship is a real depth of relationship. Praise. You know, a lot of things in creation praise God, but only you and I can worship Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've got to have time spent in the presence of God. As her commitment increased, so did the harvest. And I believe that's the word for this church tonight. As our commitment to Him. Not just our commitment to what the pastor would like for us to do. Because if you'll do what he wants you to do, you'll please the pastor, I promise you. Not just our com- commitment being, well, that this is what's expected, but our commitment being unto God. I wonder what God thinks about this. There's so many people, they, they got a relationship with God that is through, and I believe in, 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 in the pastor, uh, and I don't believe I need to have to teach a Bible study about all of that and the authority of a pastor and pastoral authority and all those things. But so many people, I've known people in my lifetime that they wouldn't want the pastor to see them dressed that way or talking like that or acting like that or going there, whatever the case may be. But there's an all-seeing eye of God that is watching every move they make and they don't seem to be so concerned about Him. I'm going to tell you, we got something mixed up with all of that. Amen. We need a relationship with God that if my Holy Ghost can't go there, and my Holy Ghost is not going to be pleased with that, and if my Holy Ghost is not wanting me to say that, and if I feel convicted in my spirit about that, I'm not going there. I'm not saying that. I'm not putting that on because the Holy Ghost is not pleased with it. That's maturity, folks. I said that's maturity. You won't need much policing if you'll really get a relationship with God. And if you spend enough time in His presence, you won't need a cop to go around and tell you what you can't do. Because you'll, you'll have enough Holy Ghost in you that this ain't right. This ain't right. 
Amen. And this is what is right. We talked about all of it that we ought not do, but there's a lot of things we need to do that pleases God. And one of them is spending time in His presence. Acts 19 tells us about a very embarrassing situation that happened to the sons of Sceva. They had been watching Paul, evidently. Like some preachers today, young preachers sometimes, they knew how to, they had a hanky the same color as Paul's. They wore the same brand of robe that, that Paul had. Same brand of sandals. Even kind of talk like Brother Paul. How you doing, Elder? What's up, Doc? <laughs> I have 19-year-old preacher boys come up to me. What's up, Doc? How, how, how art thou? I doest well. That's what I say to them. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me. They thought all of those things, get the voice inflections, get the, get, the, get the talk, get the lingo down, when confronted by an evil spirit. I adjure thee by Jesus, the Jesus that Paul preacheth. That evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know. Paul I know but who are ye I don't recollect who you are all you are is an empty shell you don't have any anointing you don't have any authority and the Bible said that that spirit leaped on them is that what it said said it leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of their house naked and wounded embarrassed in other words because of no relationship they thought they could get all of the, the theatrics just right if I got the moves and if I hold the microphone if I do this just right that's certainly going to get the job done and the devil said no you're not fooling me I'm going to tell you you may fool people but you're not going to fool the devil You can talk about all this spiritual warfare you want to talk about, but unless you're really connected, you better be quiet because you're going to get your... Amen? You're going to get a whipping. You might be like these fellas, get your pants beat off. starts a relationship with God. Would you stand with me? Heard a story many, many years ago about an old prospector that lived up in the Sierras. And uh, he had become kind of estranged to his family because he kind of had some weird ways. He, all he had was an old swayback mule that he had up in the mountains because it was sure-footed He'd grown attached to it. He was kind of a loner, kind of a strange guy, wore overalls and straw hat. And he had just a little old shack up there, a prospector shack. There wasn't much in it. And finally, uh, 
one of his friends in the mountain got word to his family that he was sick. They didn't even come. His own children didn't even come and check on him because they said, oh, he, he doesn't have anything. He's never, we've never had much relationship with him. We've been estranged to him. So they didn't come and even check on him. Then the news came that he had passed away. And this family felt like that they were so much better than their old Paul. Come driving their late model car up into those mountains as far as they could go up to that prospector shack. The friend was of the, the old prospector was waiting on them to show them where the house was. So they kind of sneered and walked in and they took a few things and finally walked out after just a few short minutes and said, well, that's all we want. He said, well, what about the rest of the articles in the house? They said, oh, you can have it. He said, are you sure that you want to give me everything? He said, you can have it. There's nothing in there. There's nothing that concerns us, nothing we're interested in. He's just an old poor prospector who doesn't have anything. We'll see you later. You can, he said, he watched them as they drove their late model car down the little dusty trail. Watched them as they disappeared, and as they did, a smirk crossed his face. He said, this is the best day of my life. He went in and pulled a rug back out in the middle of that living room floor. He reached down, he pulled back a plank in the middle of that floor, and down in there, hidden away, was a chest plumb full of gold, little gold nuggets. And as he was smiling, and what a happy day it was, this was his response to them, though they couldn't hear him. He said, all I can say is they should have got to know him better. Should have got to know him better. Hallelujah. They just had a relationship with him. If they had just known him a little bit better, all of this could have been theirs, but they gave it all to me. All I can say is they should have got to know him better. Amen. If we'll get to know him, I said if we'll develop a relationship with him, he's got everything we need everything we desire everything that 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 God wants us to have as a church. If we'll develop a relationship with the owner of the field, he'll give us a harvest of souls. He'll, he'll fill people with the Holy Ghost. Come on, we need to pray for his anointing. We need to pray to be sensitive to his spirit. We need to pray for a relationship with God. Would you lift up your hands right now in conclusion tonight? And would you say, God, help me to have a relationship with you. Help me, God, to know you. Help me, God, I don't want to just know religion. I don't want to just know Pentecost. I don't want to just know how to, how to have church. But, God, I want to know you. You're, you're the founder of the church. I, I want to know you, God. You will direct us. You will help us. You will lead us. You will give us guidance. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands and let's give praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I guess made it with no iPad tonight. Just a few scratch notes on a notebook piece of paper. Kind of feel like old timer tonight. Praise God. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your attention this Bible study.
Let's believe God this weekend. I'm going to be preaching about preparing ourselves. And I, I really kind of started on that tonight for what God wants to do for us. I believe we've got potential for great, great revival, don't you? Amen. Praise the Lord. And I want to see many, many people. I've envisioned, even dreamed about it, seeing people across the front of this building, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, if you shoulder to shoulder across this front, being filled with the Holy Ghost in one service, I believe that can happen, and I don't believe it's too many days down in the future. Praise God. Let's agree together for that. Let's believe together for that. Let's trust God for it. God bless you in Jesus' name. It's good to see Jerry and Jenny here tonight. Man, 